Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, hope you had a chance to check out the Super Bowl, even if it was just for the halftime show. If so, do you think Usher was lip syncing? And more importantly, do you care? We get into it with Charles Adler leading off an entertaining episode where we also tee up corporate vampire Bell Media's big cuts. What should Ottawa do about it? Who does Chuck see as leading the Alberta NDP's leadership race? Is Joe Biden really too old to run again? What should Canadians make of Donald Trump's comments about Russia and NATO? And speaking of Russia, what's up with Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin? Would Chuck have done that same interview? Let's go. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. For the first time in almost 20 years, the NFL has a repeat Super Bowl champion, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Spoiler alert, winning it all back-to-back yesterday. We'll get into that with Charles Adler, of course, as is the case the morning after every Super Bowl. We'll probably talk more about the halftime show and and the affiliated storylines as much as we will what happened on the field. We'll look to our live chat for insights. They're great to see some real talkers live and in the flesh to meet you in person at the cabin where I was hosting. And of course, we all had a lot of fun there. We're going to get to Charles Adler in just a second. Tucker Carlson sat down with Vladimir Putin. What do you think about the interview? What do you think about the fact that he was there at the Kremlin doing it? What do you think of Donald Trump's comments regarding his NATO allies inviting Russia to attack them and a damning report almost uninvited was it out of line but ultimately what's the significance of it talking about the current president Joe Biden's mental acuity his fitness for office we're going to get into that today plus I'm looking forward to Chuck's take on the Bell layoffs the Bell media layoffs impacting almost 5,000 people last week Chuck dedicated his weekly Winnipeg free press column to it and so we'll get into that in just a quick second this episode is presented by our friends at Rello who want to remind you that if you've been dreaming about starting a new career this is a great time to visit Rello.ca that's R-E-L-O.ca an opportunity of course in real estate a new career to be your own boss, to run a thriving business, leave cubicle life behind for good. Oh yeah, and then there's that whole thing around unlimited earning potential. Rello is Alberta's top real estate school, and they're here to support you every step of the way from studying for your exam to getting your license and and beyond that even. Plus with Rello, you're studying 100% online on your own schedule, so it's guaranteed to work perfectly. Right now, you can save 20% on any Rello course with the promo code Real talk. That's all one word. Real talk. When you get started at Rello.ca. First episode of every week. Charles Adler joins intrepid producer John Hicks and myself. Yeah. We'll look back at the week that was. We'll take a look at the week coming up. And and Chuck, of course, uh, always fun uh, when folks gather together at the coffee machine or at the water cooler the morning after the Super Bowl to assess what went down. Hell of a game. Started slow, low scoring, and then all of a sudden yeah. Patrick Mahomes starts to work his magic. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the first half, I mean, I, I couldn't I couldn't help but um, feel for Andy Reid, who's this fabulous NFL coach, coach the KC Chiefs, and there's there's Travis Kelsey, and he looked like he was uh, roid crazy. And this is not this isn't about uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, just uh, tr- Travis was was, was was jacked up. He put me in, coach. He just wanted to he wanted to get the ball. He wanted to win the game. 
and he was so upset with Andy Reid, he actually did more than just bump him. It was totally unprofessional. But when I saw that passion from Travis Kelsey, and is there an NFL coach anywhere that wouldn't want Kelsey on their team? When I saw that, he told me the Kansas City Chiefs were going to win this one. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny, when, when I walked in this morning and, and John's on his first cup of coffee and he goes, how about Kelsey and Andy Reid? That was, yeah, that was a was, moment early in the game. It was the tides kind of turned for a lot of people who love Travis Kelsey, including my wife, who's a not a football fan at all and became one because of Travis Kelsey and just just loves him, right? And Taylor Swift, obviously. But uh, yeah, some of the reaction online was just, <laughs> I think he lost half of his female fans from that. It, it Afterwards, he, he was he was quoted as saying he was just telling he, him he loved him. And of course, the coach was like, oh, you know, he's a, he's a hot-headed young kid and he just wants to win. But I, I agree with Charles. I think he got an extra shot of test before the uh, game there. <laughs> I love that. And it's, and it's quickly become one of the most memed photos on planet Earth. I don't know if you saw this. Here's a local Alberta political reference on this. But did you see Team Pancholi was quick this on this great. one? Uh, Team Pancholi posting the photo saying Kelsey's yelling at Coach Reed. You have until April 22nd to buy your membership and join <laughs> Team Racky. So uh, every, every, everybody's memeing yeah. the Kelsey Reed photo. But some of these. Uh, by I the way, her, her team, uh, you know, and this isn't an endorsement of the Pancholi or anything like that, but her, her team is doing an excellent communications job. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll circle around. Like, up, I want to talk yeah. to you about that whole thing and about that leadership race. Yeah. Of course, we talked to yeah. two of them. We got one coming up this week, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. But, but obviously, millions of people, uh, of and it's kind of funny. Just, yeah, Johnny, take us through these. Some of these tweets are just, you can see the amount of views and likes, you know. Uh, assault is is so funny right arrest him now uh you know hey taylor preview of what your marriage is gonna look like the tweets <laughs> online were just not a little out of line they were know. just they were just brutal for him so yeah. yeah i mean the guy the guy's the guy's in the trenches he's photographed in the trenches but but i digress that is not the story of the super bowl uh the story of the super bowl is is of course a back and forth battle maybe lower scoring than that most people expected goes to overtime you know sort of a uh, a beautiful scripted uh I, I'm not saying actually scripted but if you were to script it uh pretty cool to head it to overtime Niners with the field goal the Chiefs coming back in the ball in Mahomes hand and, and and there you have it three-time Super Bowl MVP for a guy already considered among one of the greats at just 28 years old Chuck never bet against capitalism uh <laughs> never bet against the U.S. never bet against Canada and never never bet against the guy with the biggest stones in football Never bet against Patrick Holmes. Yeah, Mahomes, unbelievable job there. Uh, Johnny, uh, of course, the halftime show is why 40% of the viewers are tuned in. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm pulling that out of my ass, but maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. more than 40%. What did yeah. you think of Usher and crew? I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was incredible. And, you know, there's a lot of naysayers out there, and I think those are people who just don't relate to the music. But I was saying this uh, to my better half last night. I said, you know what would be great? Now that uh, ticket prices are so expensive for concerts, Imagine if you could pay 30, 40, 50 bucks to see 20 minutes of your favorite artists and just hear all the hits. And that's exactly what it was. And more cameos than we've seen in, in gosh, it's got to be since, 
I mean, Bruno Mars brought out Coldplay and Beyonce and all yeah. them, but you had her playing on guitar. Absolutely incredible. You had Ludacris, Jermaine Dupree, uh, Will I Am, there, right? yeah. Little John, Alicia Keys. I mean, that was the most cameos we've seen in a long time. Absolutely yeah. incredible performance, I thought. From How about show. that piano Alicia Keys was playing? I need amazing. that in my house, Chuck. That red, that, that <laughs> yeah. was like a, looked like it belonged in Liberace's living room. That was amazing. I don't care how much publicity Alicia Keys gets. The most underrated performer in the history of the universe Agree. is Alicia Keys. Sorry, I, sorry, I had to say that. Yeah. I, I know she's she's rich and famous and blah blah. Not rich enough, not famous enough. Alicia Keys is the best. Yeah, I thought she was absolutely unbelievable. Just so stellar. And yeah. we often talk about, you know, we always talk about this, the production behind the scenes, were they singing live? I was happy to see that Usher was singing parts of it live, and you can always tell because of the breaths. It's an old radio broadcast. How can you tell? Take a take it's, a it's, it's the, everybody's speculating. It's, it's the breathing, right? When you're dancing around and sweating as much as he has, you can hear the breaths in between, which you could hear a lot. Obviously, you heard some backing tracks. A lot of the music is obviously pre-produced, pre-recorded. Uh, but and, and weird because some of it I could tell was pre-recorded some of it wasn't like when he went over to Alicia Keys and started singing on the piano they grabbed these two handheld mics and you could tell it was different because you couldn't hear their breaths so I don't know why they pre-recorded the duet version but then at the end you could hear some freestyling because you could hear Usher coming in and say, baby and yeah. he's getting those breaths in but just incredible and then different parts of even the uh, America the Beautiful uh, Post Malone uh, you could tell his guitar was pre-recorded and that there was some auto-tune and reverb on his singing, but I do think he was singing live for that. And then, of course, Reba, we'll never know with the national anthems because ever since Garth Brooks, he was the one who screwed up the Super uh. Bowl and had it uh, the first time they've ever postponed the start of a game. Uh, they've always had a backing track, so you never know with the anthem. Even the big one, Whitney Houston, everyone points to. That was actually pre-recorded because they had uh, jets flying overhead and whatnot. But that's often thought of as one of the best uh, uh, national anthems ever sung at the Super Bowl. And, or ever. Yeah. And, hey, well, you know, it was pre-recorded. I tweeted about it yesterday after that performance. I pledge allegiance to Reba McIntyre. I thought that was unbelievable. Does anyone think, sorry, I mean, I, I, if this is too inside, just stop me. But does anyone in our business think... That when a singer is singing with jets overhead, that it isn't lip synced. <laughs> I don't know if anybody believes that anything is actually sung at the Super Bowl. People all just sort of say that, that when it's a production that big, you can't risk a mic crapping out or something like that. And I don't from, know. From insider oh knowledge, they keep everything pretty hush hush. But I've talked to people who know people inside production at the Super Bowl. You'll never know. Some of it's pre recorded, some of it isn't. We know the Red Hot Chili Peppers sang live. Didn't play instruments. Last night, a lot of people saying her, the guitarist who did the solo, that was pre-recorded. But what are you gonna do when there's sixty, seventy thousand people in a stadium? But, it, like, yeah. but it's a, it's a show. I mean, that's the whole point. It's it's a show. You so know, do you get into this, Chuck? Who's 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 your favorite performer of all time, dead or alive? If you could go to any one concert, what would it be? Prince. Prince. Okay, so would you care if you, and, and I don't even know if dollar amounts relevant or not, but like, let's say you pay 600 bucks a ticket to go see Prince third row on the floor. You don't care no, if he's lip syncing no. the whole thing? No, I, no, no, I don't. I, I want to be part of the event and I want super production. You know, I, I come from a world where I, I've worked in toilets that have terrible production and, and real radio and TV stations with great production. And pardon me if, if I offer a stroke here that you did not solicit. But one of the reasons I love doing this podcast 
more than anything that I've ever done in broadcasting or podcasting is because you and Johnny are absolutely <laughs> assiduously faithful to audio, to great audio and great yeah, video, to production. And people who tell me that they want stuff just to, to be real, you know, spontaneous, they don't want it produced, they don't understand show business. I love show business. That's why I got into the business. And this is precisely what show business is about. This is hot. This is well-produced. This is real to me. Agree. And nowadays, like, what are you, what are you bitching about? I mean, if you look back to Michael Jackson, one of the most iconic performances ever of the Super Bowl. I was watching it last night after Usher. Yeah. Amazing performance. The camera angles, there's no dancing, there's no lights, it's during the day. What you got here with Usher, especially in Vegas, you've got the top production teams in the world are all brought into Vegas. The cameraman, you feel like you're right there beside Usher. How could you even bitch about this yeah. at all? This is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I feel like the and, purists want to know that they're singing, though. Uh, but who cares? You want it to be perfect. Would you rather it be all out of sync and the guitar not work and a mic get dropped or or something like that? Or would you rather it sound as close to perfect as you can? I guess I'm not I'm not trying to compare like the Super Bowl halftime show to, to this, but like Gord Downey's Man Machine poem tour, the let me say the Tragically Hips Man Machine poem tour, which was Gord Downey's goodbye tour to Canada. Um, one of the most wonderful parts about it and, and one of the most wonderful parts of Gord Downey's career and why he was such a legend performing on stage was the, the, the little nuances and the, the things he'd toss in and the little things he'd say. And, you know, I, I remember we, we quote him often on the show in this uh, on his uh, live album, one of his live albums, where he says, my thanks to the Rio Statics. He says, we are richer for having heard them here tonight. And I just thought that was like such a beauty. Downey would throw in all those little things, not to say you can't still have a hot mic on a pre-recorded track, but I, I don't know, like on that tour, uh, I loved knowing that Gord Downey was given it every single night, uh, even though the, the brain tumor was taking its impact and he was reading off a prompter. He was reading his lyrics off a prompter for the first time in his career. He was singing it when there would have been every justification for it to be pre-recorded. But I just couldn't see Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip doing that. You know what I mean? And I'm not comparing. I mean, the Super Bowl halftime show is obviously a spectacle. It's the biggest spectacle and I'm not a performer so I don't totally understand that but I don't know I guess I get why some people obsess I was sitting the people around us in the bar yesterday were going is it premier is it live think he's singing live you think it's, it's lip syncing everyone's it's, debating it you it's know? a mixture of everything and you could tell last night like I could tell Ludacris was doing his set live I could tell Will I Am was doing his little part live I could see parts where Usher was singing because he's out of breath he's sweating his butt off up there and I could hear other parts where it was backing track reverb there's a bit of autotune i yeah. can tell parts that were straight from the, the album cut like little interludes but what do you want this is the biggest stage in the world and they're not gonna fuck this up in vegas they yeah. are not gonna take a single chance and they always have backups too like if his mic goes out they have a track ready that's on the line that'll come in for him and that happens sometimes yeah and and, and, and what do you want this is the best performance you're ever <laughs> you going to see. You said it 10 times. What do you want? What I mean, do you want? I, I just have respect for production and everything they go to. Do you think they just got up one day, did a run through? They've been practicing this for a week. They want everything to be perfect. Do you think the tuba player on, on, the, on the field that that is real? I want to believe that no, it is. of course. It, I want to believe that it is. What if he falls over and his tuba busts well, then into two? Of but course then don't fall over in the Super Bowl. That's of the whole point. Of course it's pre-recorded. Anyway, here's the deal. I love that you can tell we're not a sports show because we've covered the Super Bowl now for 15 <laughs> 
15 minutes and we've spent 30 seconds of it talking about what happened in the game. It's the greatest it's the greatest show on earth. Yes. You want me to tie you want me to tie politics to this? I mean, I'll tie politics. Justin Trudeau would never have become prime minister if politics wasn't show business. Sometimes people say it's it's show business for ugly people. Justin Trudeau was not ugly. I don't want to get into the whole convoy crap, anti-vax, blah, 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 blah. Justin Trudeau versus Alberta. Not interested in doing that. Justin Trudeau would not be prime minister if it were not for show business. Donald Trump would not be leading right now. It's got nothing to do with courts. Democrats, liberals in general are obsessed with courts. Average American doesn't care about courts. Donald Trump doesn't need to be ushered. I'm not talking about usher in the Super Bowl, but Donald Trump doesn't need an usher to get on stage. Donald Trump doesn't need an usher (laughs) to get off stage. Joe Biden, unfortunately, does. Fact, 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 fact. Donald Trump is show business. Joe Biden isn't. That's why Donald Trump isn't the lead. The world loves show business, and it doesn't matter to the world whether it's being lip-synced or not. The world loves a great production. And the Super Bowl in Vegas Greatest show on earth. Unbelievable Agreed. stuff. And Can you imagine being out on the strip last night? Oh my god. I was waiting Can for you like, imagine, people like, toppling over signposts. You're partying wherever you're partying, <laughs> and then in comes Kelsey and Mahomes with the Vince Lombardi trophy. Unbelievable. We haven't even touched on the, the waste management Phoenix Open. I don't oh, know if man. anybody wants to talk about that golf tournament. I'm I'm obviously like you know, how do I put this uh properly? I'm one of the biggest party animals you'll ever meet in your life. And I don't care if you have a Rolodex full of party animals. Uh and I love to party on the golf course. I love to have a great time. But I'm looking at this Waste Management Phoenix Open going, how much longer can they do this? It, 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 for people that are unfamiliar, um, this is kind of, in a way, the PGA Tour's answer to live in the sense that it's the most fun tournament out there. The whole thing is getting as bombed as you can while trying to stand up. But, but like all I saw over the weekend, I barely saw any <laughs> golf highlights. I just saw people falling over, hitting their heads, pissing themselves. Like It was absolutely out of control. I don't, I don't know how much longer they can do this. The 16th hole is, is a watering hole. And uh, for yeah. people who don't know uh, the waste management thing, it's been called different things over the years. I, I don't know how much crazy I am, but we, the, you know, the title waste management, but Hey, they, they pay the money. They're the sponsor. That, <laughs> that's does. fine. If waste management wants to sponsor this show, we'll call it the waste management show. Yeah, but the sure. deal is that the, the 16th hole in Arizona at that particular open, the 16th hole is a giant watering hole. And uh, there's so much about it. That is anything like golf. Now here's my, my question to you, Mike, my golf buddy, do you think if waste management gave Augusta like major dollars, like a, a billion dollars, oh. do you, do, <laughs> you don't even need to finish the question. Would they, no, would they allow? no, it was crazy though. I heard they had to no. cut off beer sales. They it was, shut off alcohol yeah, sales on Saturday for the entire course insane, yeah. for the entire tournament. <laughs> yeah, Cause they it just, was just too much. It was, it was yeah. too out of control, but shout out to uh, the other Taylor, other than Taylor Swift. We were all talking about Nick Taylor, of course, of course great Canadian boy. taking it all just an incredible. And I'm not even, you know, this, and I don't say it on the show much because of the real talk golf class. I'm not the biggest golf fan. And I think it's because it's a lot funner game to play than it is to watch we all know that getting out there and playing is is super fun watching it not so fun but it was fun to watch this guy win it was it was exciting it's so great to see a canadian win it all and uh and uh and by the way the the beautiful part about the real talk golf classic is you don't have to love golf to have a great time there that's the whole point that's where i found my love that's the whole point (laughs) we're nurturing your love for golf johnny hey can you tee up uh the prime minister talking about the bell cuts for me Uh, because chuck obviously i know that you wrote about this uh over the weekend your winnipeg free press column um before we get to the pm uh we'll remind people we talked about it on the show obviously we were 
thrilled that Real Talk was featured on the National over the weekend. They came in and talked to us about viable independent journalism, but 4,800 of our former colleagues of professionals working in broadcasting and journalism uh, laid off. Uh, Bell Media's chief executives essentially signaling to the country. I mean, one of them spelling it out, saying it, that they don't think that radio's a viable business. Uh, how are you wrapping your mind around this? It's just another round of layoffs, but when it's 5,000 deep, that list will catch everybody's attention. I don't want to get the, this uh, to be about uh, Ryan Jesperson and Charles Adler because this is uh, much bigger than that. But the vampires in this business who are, and I'm a capitalist, but I guess I'm a small business uh, capitalist. Uh, small businesses is, is, is why we have the free enterprise system that we have. However, some businesses restricted to so-called shareholder value capitalism. And in shareholder value capitalism, which is what Bell is all about, and the other giants in this country are all about that are running radio and television for the most part, all they care about is faithfulness to shareholders and not to sponsors, not to listeners, not to viewers, not to people who are paying attention to this podcast. The vampires have been at work for years. Bell is more dramatic than the others. And the vampires won big last week. They blasted 4,800 real human beings. And what happened to the shareholders? Their dividends went up. When people tell me that that's what capitalism is all about, that is absolute baloney. Smart capitalists like the Griffith family in Vancouver that owned 630 Ched, uh, Randy Moffat that owned 630 Ched, people like that were capitalists. They made a lot of money. I worked for both of them. I owe much of my career to both of them. They don't take a backseat to anybody these days, and they had 10,000 times the character that the people who run Bell and some of these other vampire corporations have because they cared deeply about the communities that they were operating in. And when they did, their radio stations were a thousand times better than the, the, the skeletons of radio that we have today, whether people are working there or not. The point is the newsrooms were not vacant. Public service was achieved every single day. The people in those newsrooms and the people in those radio stations were absolutely married to their communities. The communities were married to them. And in those days, people regularly said, did you hear that on the radio? I heard this on the radio, heard that on the radio. Radio changed people's lives. Radio connected with their communities because really smart capitalists who weren't just smart, they were good human beings, ran radio stations back then. Right now, they're run by vampires, and the blood has been sucked out of them. Last week's story from Bell was more dramatic than the others, but this has been going on for several decades. There's uh, politicians kind of been fighting over this, over like whose fault it is and who gave whom $40 million. And Jagmeet Singh is taking swipes at the prime minister, Solis Poliev, yeah, and, and the prime minister. We'll get to BC's premier as well, who had I was surprised at what David Eby had to say, but Justin Trudeau chimed in uh, over the weekend. The audio is not great, but I think our audience would want to hear it anyway. Here's the prime minister. This is a garbage decision by a corporation that should know better. We've seen over the past years, journalistic outlets, radio stations, small community newspapers, bought up by corporate entities who then lay off journalists, you know, change the offering, the quality of offering to people. And then when people don't watch as much or engage as much, the corporate entity says, oh, see, they're not profitable anymore. We're going to sell them off. This is the erosion, not just of journalism, of quality local journalism, at a time where people need it more than ever, given misinformation and disinformation, but it's eroding our very democracy. Our abilities to tell stories to each other, 
of how people's lives are, stories that reflect our own communities and not you know, central offices in our biggest cities, is part of what binds this country together from coast to coast to coast with, with incredible diversity of experiences, of geographies. We need those local voices. And over the past years, corporate Canada, and there are many culprits on this, have abdicated their responsibility toward the communities that they have always made very good profits off of in various ways. And they need, like, as a government, we have been stepping up over the past years, fighting for local journalism, fighting for investments that we can have, while all the while fending off attacks from conservatives and others who say, no, 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 you're trying to buy off journalists. We're trying to support journalism in this country and across this country. But no government can do it alone. Canadians need to demand better, as we will be demanding better, from corporate leaders, like in this case, Bell, that are eroding Canadians' ability to know each other, to trust each other, and to trust in the country and the future we are building together. So yeah, I'm pretty pissed off about what's just happened. It's a remarkable clip from a world leader. Garbage decision, pissed off, calling out the corporation by name. How, how did it land with you? Well, there's absolutely nothing that he's, for all, you know, people want to talk about how vacant he is. People want to talk about how stupid he is. He has articulated the same case that people like you and me have been saying off the air for decades. And I'm just not just talking about you and me. I'll, I'll throw in the, the Lloyd Robertsons. I'll throw in the Knowlton Nashes. I'll throw in the Lisa LaFlams. I'll throw in the people who created W5, which was one of the great public fair shows of all time. There would have been no 60 minutes without W5. W, W5 had, has, has an ax in its back right now. Nobody can tell me that Bell, which is getting billions of dollars out of the Canadian public, mostly on cell phone bills, internet bills, cable bills, which are far higher than they are in the United States, not because the United States is a bigger market, bigger country, because they get protection from governments, whether they're liberal or conservative. The point is, Justin Trudeau on this day, is there some hypocrisy there? Is he, is he part of government that has allowed the Bells and everyone else to be vampires? Of course. But as far as that two and a half minute bite is concerned, he has articulated the feelings of every intelligent and successful broadcaster who's being laid off right now and every intelligent and successful broadcaster who's been in the business for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. There's nothing he said, not one iota of what Justin Trudeau said that isn't articulated by people that 99.9% .9 of the people paying to this broadcast and podcast respect. So I, I don't want to hear about how he's being a Quebecois, he's being a Montrealer, he's being a liberal, he's being a communist, he's 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 anti-anti-vax. I don't care about any of that bullshit. Everything Justin Trudeau said there about it being a garbage decision is absolutely 100% true. So uh, in a second, I want to ask you what, what role you think the federal government plays in all this. The leader of the official opposition did respond. Pierre Polyev says, hey, you know, to Trudeau, if you're so pissed off at Bell for the layoffs, why don't you demand Bell give back the government handout you gave them uh, to save media jobs? This obviously a reference to that $600 million incentive that they had that was ba basically tax write-offs, 
credits for for mostly smaller print outlets employing journalists. I remember when I was at Chorus employed at that time, they were adamant that we make it very clear on the air. Chuck, you probably remember this as well. They wanted us to mention it several times per show every time we were talking about it, that that we were not eligible for those payments. We were not receiving those payments. The federal government was not subsidizing the big players in any way, but they do get a lot of breaks and they do get a lot of handouts. And you could tell the prime minister when he alluded to the fact that they've made very good profits in all of these communities for a very long time uh, was alluding to that. Canada has a very friendly business environment as well for people that are working in wireless and cellular too, uh, if we want to get into that. And that's obviously a big part of Bell's business. But this is hitting on the provincial political level as well. BC's premier, David Eby, had a lot to say about this. In fact, he was the first sort of prominent elected official to chime in. This, I think, Johnny, was the afternoon of the layoffs, if I remember correctly, or just shortly after. Uh, This was David Eby. Bell and corporations like Bell have overseen the assembly of local media assets that are treasures to local communities. Uh, They bought them up uh, like corporate vampires. They sucked the life out of them, laying off journalists. Uh, They have overseen the encrapification of local news by laying off journalists. And now uh, they say, you know, it's no longer economically viable to run these local radio stations. Uh, It's no longer economically viable to have investigative news. Uh, And they were allowed to do this. Um, The impact on communities in British Columbia of their unrestrained corporate greed, they made almost $3 billion last year, is profound. The fact that they cannot find it possible with all of their MBAs to operate a few local news stations uh, in British Columbia to ensure that people get accurate, impartial, reliable information in an age of disinformation and social media craziness is such an abandonment of any idea of corporate responsibility. I uh, find it reprehensible. I think it's appalling. And Bell and other companies like Bell that have done this need to be held accountable uh, for the information atmosphere that we find ourselves in today. Um, On behalf of all of the families of the journalists, the the media outlets, on behalf of all British Columbians that have watched their local news stations slowly turn to garbage by these companies who now say, unsurprisingly, uh, that there's not a lot of support for them. I, I just want to say shame on you. Shame on you. And, uh, and I call on the federal government to stop this assembly of media properties that are not actually properties to the local communities they serve. They are an indispensable source of information. Thank you. So I, I just want to reiterate, again, like a premier talking about the encrapification of news, uh, looking into a camera and saying shame on you to one of the biggest employers in Canada. Like there's something like to be Captain Obvious. There's something very different about this. Companies are laying off thousands of Canadians every month. Uh, we see them in the news, different sectors. But but this is prompting a, a very different response. And you and I have both been to this very, very sad party. It is not, th- not like the Super Bowl. You have large companies that make most of their money on cable and the internet and cell phones. Outrageously high profits compared to 
companies doing the same thing in other countries because they get protected by the government. These same companies that make their money off the web, okay, and off the cell phone and off cable also have media companies. The media companies don't make as much money as the other companies. But the point is these companies are filthy, stinking rich because they have no competition. That's why they want when they want to lecture me about the free market, oh, they're more free market than that. No, I am far more free market than they are. I'd want 20 of these telecoms instead of three or four. And if we had 20 of them, all of us would get a better break. I want more competition, not less. But when they buy up radio stations in any community, it doesn't matter which one, big city or small. We keep focusing on the small communities here. The fact is they have trashed the newsrooms of stations in small communities and large communities. You can go into a big community like Edmonton, like Calgary, like Vancouver, like Toronto, like any of them. And you can go into radio stations in those communities and at times, certain times of day, see absolutely nobody. I mean, zero people in the newsroom. Don't tell me they're doing a public service at that point. Now, the audience isn't fooled by that. These radio stations and TV stations have been degraded. And yeah, so when they're degraded and they've got a lot less talent and the talent is a lot less talented than the talent that used to be there because it's cheaper that way, people stop listening and they stop watching. And then the, then the, the giant corporation go, it doesn't seem like there's much of a demand for this. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Mm. No shit. So what do you think? I mean, if you're Justin Trudeau or advising Trudeau, it, like it, it's 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 a delicate thing, you know, like the federal government, quote unquote, interfering with industry. But in this, you're talking about the fourth estate. You're not just talking about thousands of Canadians employment, but you're talking about the, the onus to tell stories. I mean, on, on one hand, probably you and I could spend half an hour talking about what this does for the case to continue to robustly fund the CBC. Does that argument gain traction well, the, 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 here? The, the, you know, they talk about the CBC. CBC gets a billion dollars. How much money does Bell and Chorus and Rogers, and when I say Chorus, Chorus has been owned by, by Shaw. Shaw sold to Rogers. Um, the, the, the point is the Shaws of the world, Shaw now sold to Rogers, but the Shaws over the years and the Rogerses and the Bells, okay, they have been making billions and billions of dollars in profit. Much of it because... The government prevents them from having competition. So if people want to talk about the chump change, the wine spill, $1 billion transferred to the CBC, that's nothing. That's not. That's a, a small percentage of what has been transferred to the Shaws and the Rogerses and the Bells over the years by preventing them from having competition. This isn't me stroking the CBC, being a shill for the CBC, and this has nothing to do with politics. This is all about math. And I don't care what kind of discussion you're having. If the discussion is, 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 is suffocated by the ideologues, right wing and left wing, that's not a discussion. That's a, that's a pig fight. That's a bar fight. That's mud wrestling. If you can't get something down to original principles and mathematics, you have got nothing. One of the reasons I love doing this show is because I am allowed to talk about logic yep. and reason and principles and values and math. And the math tells you, that while the CBC gets a billion dollars every year, these larger corporations who are supposedly about the free market get far more money than the CBC has ever seen. I mean, exponentially more money because of the political system, regardless of whether it's run by liberals or conservatives, got nothing to do with that. Lobbyists run the country and the lobbyists don't give a rat's ass who is citizen PMO. They've got the same access 
with both parties. Feels like a good time to remind people that independent journalism, independent media outlets like this one, like Relay, as we speak weekly with Charles Adler and bring you five episodes every week covering stories that matter, real talk uh, in our home province of Alberta, across Western Canada, across the country and beyond happens because of your support. Uh, those of you that subscribe to our YouTube channel, that subscribe to our podcast, that share our content, that help us out and support us monthly as Real Talk patrons, you can learn more about joining us on Patreon by checking out RyanJesperson.com under the Connect link there. And it also happens because of our incredible partners. And we'll be back with Charles Adler in just a second. Curious for his take on that landscape starting to present itself. Who's going to be seeking that NDP leadership here in our province of Alberta? We're talking to every single one of those leadership candidates. Plus, I'm going to ask him about Joe Biden's fitness for office, Donald Trump's comments about Russia invading NATO allies, and Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin. That's coming up. But first, I wanted to put it on your radar. Our Friesen Brothers, of course, that South Edmonton location. By the way, you know who was there over the weekend for that vegan feast? Who's that? Yeah, I got a text from his worship, the mayor of Edmonton. There we go. He said, he said they're killing it at the vegan feast at oh, Friesen yeah. Brothers. I love that. So take it from Amarjeet Sohi. Turns out it was a pretty good feast. Well, Friesen Brothers has you covered for Valentine's Day now. They know the love of really great food connects everybody. This Valentine's Day, treat your significant other, your friends, or family family with delightful specials like handcrafted chocolate dipped strawberries or shortbread strawberry croissants or even a meat freezer pack if that's how they roll plus all the special valentine's bouquets everything else you need to create an unforgettable day you can check out freezing.com slash valentine's for all their valentine's day ideas if you want to really ramp it up for valentine's day why not give your sweetheart the gift of a custom closet? They may not see it coming, but I'll tell you, you'll knock their socks off when they have their first free design consultation with the team at California Closets, giving you ideas you may have never even dreamed of. It could be that walk-in closet, places to store your shoes, your cufflinks, your favorite ties, your favorite handbags, whatever it is, or maybe it's something in that spare room. Trying to decide between a home office or a guest room? Why decide? Why not do both with one of their incredible Murphy beds? or an entertainment center, even the garage. Whatever it is, wherever you need your organization, California Closets does it better than anybody else. You'll find them online. You can get the conversation started today at californiaclosets.ca. And if you're an engineer or a technician, maybe you've been working in the energy industry for a while, but you're starting to feel like you're not a great fit where you are, you don't feel like you're really tapping into your true potential, the team at Apex Automation would love to hear from you. They hire electrical engineers, instrumentation engineers. If you're an engineer in computer science or process, mechanical engineering, if you're an electrician or an instrument technician, they're building a well-rounded team that can deliver turnkey projects for their clients. They know that nobody can do it all on their own. It takes a team, and Apex Automation is building one of Canada's best. They're employing folks in Edmonton, Calgary, Lloydminster, Saskatoon. They've just opened a field office in Texas. If you'd love to find out what Apex Automation is all about, see if you'd be a good fit there. You can check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. Last week uh, on the show, if you were checking in our episodes, uh, February 5th and on, you would have seen uh, two sit-downs. First with Alberta's former Minister of Justice, Kathleen Ganley, first out of the gates to announce her candidacy for Alberta NDP leader. And then Racky Pancholi, the lawyer out of Edmonton, White Mud is the riding, uh, launched with a big splash, talking about musing about the future 
of the consumer carbon tax in Alberta. It grabbed a lot of people's attention, Chuck. We saw it with the downloads on the podcast. Of course, a lot of people going, well, hang on a second. Uh, If a premier could just ditch the carbon tax, Jason Kenney would have done it long ago. So what's Pancholi talking about? The one thing I took away from that is she's looking ahead to the next federal election. You have to wonder if maybe she's seeing a Pierre Poliev future where that consumer carbon tax would be up in flux Anyway, Sarah Hoffman announces her candidacy over the weekend. Who's catching your attention early in this race? Well, Ben Choley caught catching my attention because, like I said, it was earlier about uh, the NFL being the radio show on earth. I do believe that uh, politics is, uh, is show business. If you don't believe that, then, then go, go do something else because uh, people who get into politics who don't know how to do producing, uh, don't know how to understand show business, don't know many of the things that Danielle Smith knows, regardless of how you feel about Danielle Smith, if you, if, you, if you don't understand uh, some of those production values and how they matter and how they connect with the public, then you really ought to be doing something else. So Pancholi's people, and I don't know who they are personally, I just know that they understand that first principle. They understand that if you don't do production, if you don't get people's attention in a professional produced way, you're really not in the game. So I thought Pancholi's uh, uh, video that launched her was fantastic. It reminded me it was about Alberta. I don't know whether we're going to be running out any of it here, but that Alberta that Pancholi presented, that's the Alberta that I fell in love with in 1974. I was an Eastern bastard and I came to Calgary (laughs) and I had no idea how long I would stay. It was my very first opportunity and I had no idea whether I would like, dislike, or love Alberta, but oh my God, Alberta taught me in 1974 that there was far more opportunity in this country than I thought existed. There were far more open-minded people than I thought existed. Yes, here I am. I don't care who's listening and where they're listening to in the world. The people of Alberta that I met in 1974 were exponentially more open-minded than the people I grew up with in in Montreal and Toronto. There I said it. The the idea that these people were really narrow-minded and bigoted and racist and homophobic and blah, 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 blah. Nonsense. Alberta was the land of opportunity for me, and it was the land that made my dreams come true. And if anyone ever wonders why I've got a, beyond a soft spot, why I've got a hot spot and a great big spot, a great big amount of real estate in my heart for Alberta, is because Alberta taught me, taught me to love Canada. Yes, I love Alberta, but I love Canada. And I saw the magnificence of the best of Canadian opportunity when I lived in Alberta. Where does it come from? It comes from the people themselves. And that's who Pancholi spoke to. She spoke to every Albertan, right wing, left wing, in the middle, rural, urban, I don't care. She spoke to every single Albertan in that video. And she spoke, she certainly spoke to this expat Albertan. I'm not, this is not an endorsement of Pancholi, but it is endorsement of the production values that her team is exhibiting. And that to me is what makes her a contender all day long. Yeah. I I thought even just like you talk about production value. And I know that's what grabbed a lot of people's attention. I saw a big Twitter thread from our good friend, Corey Hogan from the strategist who sort of laid out, um, you know, someone who's who's obviously very familiar with the way that government communication works and the way that campaign communication works, talking about why he was so impressed with it. But yeah, they sent camera crews and they sent Racky herself across the province, even just to, to shoot these little clips for the bigger picture video out, out of Lethbridge, out of Red Deer, out of Edmonton, out of Calgary. And it kind of does send that message. Um, I do think certainly that she is a candidate to beat. It remains to be seen whether or not she's the candidate to beat. I would say right now she is, but we have it on decent authority, Chuck, that 
Ned Nenshi has uh, submitted papers for he'll have to apply for an exemption, uh, assuming the fact that, he, that he's not been a card carrying NDP member uh, for six months. I think that's what the rule is. And so, you know, you'd have to apply for a special exemption to seek the leadership. If he does enter the race, the former mayor of Calgary, you can find people with compelling arguments why he would never win. And you can find people with compelling arguments why he'd be a formidable, probably favorite candidate to win. Uh, what do you think about a potential Nenshi candidacy? And, and if you were to stack up him and Pancholi right now, uh, what does your gut tell you? Nenshi. That was, that was not difficult. Uh, Nenshi is a, a political athlete. If, um, if uh, Justin Trudeau wanted to take a walk in the snow and people ask me who, who's, who's the person that I think has the best opportunity of reestablishing the Liberal coalition, it would be Nenshi. If someone were to ask me uh, who's got the, the best chance of taking the NDP from a, a union-based Edmonton party to a center-left or centrist Alberta party. I'm not talking about every single precinct in Alberta, every single acre in, in rural Alberta. No, I'm not. But I am talking about someone who could get into some of those small towns. Uh, and I am talking about somebody who could easily get into more of Calgary. I'm talking about somebody who could easily get more of the women in the suburbs of Calgary more of the youth in the suburbs of Calgary. I'm talking about a person who is probably one of the best debaters in the country and certainly the best debaters in Alberta. Uh, this isn't to stick a sword in, in, in Rachel Notley, but Danielle Smith owned Rachel Notley in that debate. And regardless of how many people want to say debates don't matter, yes, they do. And that particular debate did matter. And Danielle Smith owned Rachel Notley in that debate, and that's the reason Danielle Smith won the election. It, yeah, Parker, and you can talk about all these people, they matter. That debate at that point in the campaign mattered, and Danielle Smith will never own Nahed Nenshi. I'm not saying Nenshi would own her, but I'm saying that he would make it very competitive. Yeah, I'll let people know that uh, former health minister, former deputy premier, uh, Sarah Hoffman, announcing your candidacy. I, I have to, and I'm going to ask her about this, uh, announcing your candidacy on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I don't know, man. You're, you're either signaling that you don't think that any of your biggest supporters care at all about football, or it's just such a confident move that you believe you'll still be able to carve out your spot in the media landscape that day. But, but, but Sarah Hoffman has announced her candidacy uh, into this leadership race, surprising exactly nobody. And I'll let uh, Real Talkers know that she will be joining me in studio. That's coming up on Thursday of this week. We'll go one-on-one -on -one with uh, Sarah Hoffman. So that'll be an interesting one. Do you, do you question the wisdom of launching a campaign on Super Bowl Sunday or no? Well, it just tells it just sort of buttresses my point that Pancholi's uh, people understand show business and mm. and Hoffman's people don't. Okay, I'll ask her about that, guaranteed. Uh, let's go uh, international. Let's look uh, south. This is certainly a big story involving uh, special counsel Robert Hur. Uh, obviously, uh, the Americans are looking toward a presidential election that's shaping up to be Biden versus Trump again. And, and this special counsel report it, it was not intended uh, to be an indictment of Joe Biden's 
mental fitness, uh, his mental acuity, his 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 uh, you know sort of the the rollout of the runway over the next four years. But this report is is quite damning, uh, and and obviously while he's sidestepping any criminal charges relating to this investigation of his handling of classified documents, the special counsel report writing that in a potential trial, quote, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview with him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I mean, geez, uh, he's obviously clapped back furious. It sounds like that they're questioning his recollection of what year his son, Bo, passed away, uh, had a difficult time remembering what years he served as vice president under President Obama, and, and obviously was confusing some of his conversations with uh, former world leaders. Uh, he's 81 years of age. He's going to be putting it to the American people. Not Trump's not a spring chicken either, uh, but every video you see of Donald Trump, he's out hitting drives on his golf courses. Uh, Biden, how bad is this? And and does he need to? I mean, people are asking this question. It's a fair question. Does he need to step aside? Like, is his stubbornness going to hand the White House back to probably the biggest threat to American democracy that that nation has ever seen? Donald Trump. So some people could ask about uh, the political fitness of uh, Merrick Garland, who's the attorney general who decided to have a Republican uh, partisan, a special counsel. Not the first time he's done that. I don't want to bog down in, 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 in the weeds of all of that. But I think the special counsel, uh, who is a, a Republican, uh, did the Democrats a huge favor because all he did was stuff into the headlines what every Democrat has been talking about off the air and away from the headlines for the last year. A lot of Democrats are frustrated that Joe Biden didn't go through with what he implied. He never asserted it, but he implied that he was only going to be in there for one term. He'd be a transitional president. He said he could defeat Donald Trump, and he did. That's his legacy. Unfortunately for Joe Biden and the Democrats, if Joe Biden doesn't step aside in the next couple of weeks, and yes, he could, uh, he could say, I'll finish my term, but I, I, I won't be um, running for uh, the nomination, the presidential nomination of the Democratic uh, Party. I'll, we'll open up the primaries to everybody and, uh, and, and, and may the best person win. So here's the thing. Uh, this special counsel, her, did the Democrats a favor by stuffing this right into the shop window and forcing the debate to begin among Democrats. Do we think that Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump? And if we don't think Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump, because a majority, never mind Republicans, a majority of Democrat supporters and Democratic Party voters think Joe Biden is too old, think Joe Biden needs to be not just escorted around a golf course if he wants to play golf, uh, that Joe Biden needs to be escorted to the stage and off the stage. Joe Biden reminds all of us of the dad who we had the misfortune of having to take the keys away from him. Many of us have been in that position where we have to take the keys away from mom or dad. It's not pleasant. We do it because we love them and we know that they're no longer fit to drive. You can't have someone running for president if he's someone that you think can't be driving, can't be riding a bicycle or driving a car. And so Democrats can absolutely fall in love with the idea that Donald Trump has 91 felony charges against him. All of those charges don't amount to a hill of beans compared to the charge made by Democratic voters that Joe Biden can't drive a car, can't ride a bicycle, can't get on or off a stage on his own. God bless Joe Biden. He defeated Donald Trump. 
but we don't want Joe Biden's ultimate legacy to be the guy who allowed Donald Trump back in the White House. Yeah, Tracy in the live chat says 91 felony charges and you get to be president of the United States. Uh, Jason says, in my opinion, Democrats need to look in the mirror for a better candidate. Michael says, hey, listen, I've had people close to me in my life pass away. I remember the day, but I can't recall the date they passed away. He says Trump's made mental mistakes, too. I think people are overthinking this. Kimberly says Trump's not even aware what state Kansas City's in. Uh, Fair enough. I guess maybe it's just like a a race to the bottom uh, when it comes to these two candidates. How about what Donald Trump had to say? about NATO allies like Canada. You remember this when he was president? He was saying he was going to hold NATO member nations to their 2% commitment uh, when it comes to GDP spending on defense. Uh, Trump, everybody knows uh, or can speculate anyway how he feels about Vladimir Putin and Russia. Great degree of admiration, it seems. Had this to say about how he'd feel about Russia showing aggression toward NATO allies like us. Of The presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. Okay, so that's the president of the United States speaking in South Carolina. Trump loyalists are saying, ah, the clip's out of context. He didn't mean it. I don't know how else you're supposed to take that. Look, uh, Trump always uh, plays uh, Tony Soprano, okay? So he's uh, he's the guy who's looking at some country, one of the 32 European members of NATO, and says, you got a nice country, uh, you know, too bad. Uh, uh, too bad about your nice little country. It'd be too bad if you can't keep it. So, I mean, you know, that's something Tony Soprano would say, and Donald Trump says, once again, show business. That's It's great. It's great show business. As I said earlier, to me, everything has to go to reason and logic and the facts. The facts are not sexy. The facts are pesky, but that doesn't make them anything other than the facts. Here's a fact. The United States spends $700 billion, I'm going to put it in euros because that's the uh, European currency, and this is all about European nations apparently not paying their way, according to Donald Trump. Uh, the U.S. Defense Department spends $700 billion euros a year on defense, and the Europeans spend $300 billion. There's, there's no way, there's no way that the Europeans aren't paying their way. And that 300 billion the Europeans pay is double what Russia pays. And the 300 billion that the Europeans pay is far more than what China pays. The Europeans are paying their way. The conversation Donald Trump is talking about never took place. It's just as fictional as everything about Donald Trump. But none of what I'm saying to you takes away from the pesky fact that Joe Biden is perceived by over 75% of Democratic supporters as too old too old to hold a high office. And that means he doesn't excite many members of the Democratic coalition, be they youth, be they blacks, be they Hispanics, be they suburban women. The point is that stuff, the age stuff, is far more important than, than Donald Trump playing Tony Soprano. Sharon in the chat says uh, Tony Soprano was a way better human than Donald Trump. Uh, Tracy <laughs> says Dapper Don intends to be a dictator, and sadly too many North Americans have forgotten what fascism looks like. Meantime, JP is cheering for a Trump presidency for life, uh, being called out by Jim in the chat for his stir-stick imperson- impersonation. Very well done. Hey, speaking of, of Trump and the right and show business, 
Tucker Carlson, fresh off his Alberta tour, travels to the Kremlin to sit down with Vladimir Putin. This, of course, as Russian aggression continues in Ukraine. I'm, I'm curious for your assessment of this interview, about a two-hour interview, um, and, I, and I'm sure that some people have watched it. Uh, you know, He's obviously got it up on his website, and, and people, whether it's out of a, a loyalty to, to Tucker or a curiosity about how this may go, have been watching it. I saw it was uh, kind of interesting to see a response here from a former uh, Canadian ambassador and uh, cabinet minister under Stephen Harper, conservative Chris Alexander, who's been on this show before says the malignant Tucker Carlson is far worse than Tokyo Rose Lord Haha and other fascist propagandists from liberal countries because he, quote, tells the genocidal murderer's side of the story while enjoying freedoms and privileges of democratic life as they never did. He calls it revolting. Your thoughts on the interview? Well, Putin made fun of uh, Carlson the whole time. Mm. Putin said that he wasn't a journalist. He was just an entertainer and not a very good one. Uh, Putin said that uh, Carlson... Uh, tried to get into the CIA, which is true, because you know Putin does far more research on Tucker Carlson than Tucker Carlson does on, on Vladimir Putin, and uh, you know he chided uh, Tucker Carlson about uh, not, about Tucker Carlson not being able to to be hired by by the CIA, not getting that gig, and then and then Putin said that you know that's good because the CIA is an important organization, and uh, it's good that an important organization like that not ha- have you in, and he took a whole bunch of other swipes at at Tucker and basically ran, ran the table of the two hours of, in, in the two hour conversation. It was like one hour and 57 minutes for, uh, for Vladimir Putin and three minutes for Tucker Carlson and his ridiculous laugh. I mean, I know that in certain venues, he does that phony laugh and people love it, make him an interesting entertainer, but it just wasn't on the level of Vladimir Putin as a, as a propaganda. So Putin just used him the way, of, you know, someone uses a, a toilet plunger and uh, made fun of him, mocked him. It was a, a terrible day for Tucker Carlson. Uh, Putin's people also insisted that Tucker run all two hours unedited on X, uh, which he did. And the average person watching it on X just found it, uh, you know, boring. It wasn't exactly a Super Bowl production. Would you, if you, if you're, I mean, pe- people will say, well, you shouldn't even sit down. You shouldn't sit down with these people. You shouldn't sit down with these aggressors. You shouldn't interview them. You're, you're hosting, you know, your, your, your national radio show. You got your podcast. You're offered an interview with or your producers work to get you an interview with Putin. Would you do it? Yeah, because it would be the questions uh, to me that matter. Yeah. The questions that he doesn't want to answer. So my, my, my very first question for Vladimir Putin is, how do you feel about the leader of Russia being seen by most people around the world as a genocidal, homicidal maniac? And then I would shut my app. And at that point, I don't care what he says. I don't care what, because I want to put it on the table. That he's a genocidal, homicidal maniac. Second question is, how do you feel about a European or Eurasian leader committing war crimes, which includes kidnapping thousands of children and slaughtering their parents and leaving them in ditches and having his own people slaughtered and not bringing them back, not repatriating them to Russia. How do you feel about that? It doesn't matter to me what he answers. That has to be put on the table. But no, I don't expect Tucker Carlson to ever ask Vladimir Putin those questions, and those questions were certainly not asked. Nothing about war crimes, nothing about being a war criminal, uh, nothing about uh, genocide, uh, 
uh, Vladimir Putin insulted, um, you know, you know, the Ukrainians are my neighbors in terms of the country I was born in. Uh, so are the people of Poland. And he said about the people of Poland that they wanted the Nazis uh, to come in. That's what the people wanted. They wanted Nazism. And uh, his implication is that that's what the Polish people want today. And the Polish people supporting Ukraine uh, is all about the Polish people wanting the return of Nazism. I mean, uh, I just, uh, we, we've got Polish people listening and watching this. I, I just can't believe the insult uh, to Ukrainians and uh, the people of Poland. And I, and I keep bringing it home to Canada because daddy always brings it home. <laughs> I, I can't believe that the Conservative Party of Canada is honestly uh, supporting Putin, which they are. They're being his useful idiots, except maybe that's an insult to useful idiots. But that's what Poliev is being. He's being a useful idiot to, to Vladimir Putin. And the name of the, the carbon tax uh, refuses to help Ukraine uh, and calling it a far off land like some of the right wing bananas in, in the United States. Uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, Justin Trudeau is making a strong case about this, a strong enough case. I'm not suggesting that other people in Canada, uh, including many communities in Western Canada, aren't making a strong enough case. They aren't. Uh, I think I think what, what uh, Paulie Evan and the Conservatives are doing is absolutely outrageous. I could give a hoot about uh, Tucker Carlson. I really don't care on a personal level about uh, Tucker Carlson and all. But I do care about my country. And uh, I have supported the Conservative Party for most of my adult life. I'm obviously not supporting them right now. But I find it impossible to even consider supporting a party that wants to be a useful idiot for Vladimir Putin, who is an unconvicted at the moment, unconvicted war criminal. Yeah, obviously, if there was a federal election campaign happening in Canada, there'd be much more talk about this. Obviously, the liberals would be putting that right in the crosshairs to fire back at the conservatives. And they'll need to work some magic, of course, because recent polling shows that they're, uh, the conservatives are gaining even more ground. Of course, it's not an election right now, and there's lots of time but until there is the uh, next one, we assume. Uh, but we could expect the, the national conversation on this to pick up if there were People have short memories. I mean, I, I hate to sort of dismiss this or write it off, uh, but, you know, the, the war in Ukraine is not over. Uh, and, and people are still, I mean, have I guess have limited bandwidth and what they focus on. But I don't think it's on a lot of people's radar right now. Uh, you shared uh, a clip from Chris Wallace, uh, which I thought you, you touched, you referenced on the useful idiot thing. I, I thought that our, if our audience didn't catch it over the weekend, uh, I, I don't want to say get a kick out of it. That's the wrong thing. But I thought that this, I mean, coming from uh, a national or international anchor desk was a hell of a bit of commentary. Johnny, why don't we tee that up? Here's uh, Chris Wallace just a short time ago. Tucker Carlson showed up in Moscow this week to interview Vladimir Putin. It turned out to be anything but an interview. Putin droned on for two hours and seven minutes while Tucker sat there like an eager puppy. Occasionally, but rarely, he got in a question like this one about the power of the deep state in Washington. It sounds like you're describing a system that's not run by the people who are elected in your telling. That's right. That's right. But more telling than what Tucker asked is what he didn't ask. Nothing about why Putin invaded a sovereign country. Nothing about targeting civilians. Nothing about Russian war crimes. A reporter can ask Putin a tough question if he wants a real interview. Why is it that so many of the people that oppose Vladimir Putin end up dead or close to it? But apparently, that's not why Tucker went to Moscow. During the Cold War, gullible Westerners who spread Soviet propaganda were dismissed as useful idiots. But 
calling Tucker that is unfair to useful idiots. No, he's made a cynical decision to chase MAGA's affection for dictators. And what better way to cash in than Putin's Kremlin? That from the Chris Wallace show on CNN. Uh, Tracy wondering in our live chat, was Carlson giving carte blanche on his questions? It's unlikely, but he went anyway because he thought having that meeting on his resume was enough. The content was irrelevant to Tucker Carlson. That from Tracy. By the way, I thought <laughs> in my mind when I saw Chris Wallace say it's an insult to useful idiots, I thought that Wallace was plagiarizing me because uh, one of the very first times I walked out of the of a lecture hall uh, at McGill University when I was a student was when and we had plenty of useful idiots um, uh, to communism. And I'm obviously a, a, a refugee from communism, so I have my, my thoughts and my feelings. And so uh, one of these uh, professors uh, was doing the uh, sucking up to uh, the communists because it was his way of being anti-American. You know, the Russians are right, the Americans are wrong. And I got up and it about 30 seconds before I walked out of the class and I called the professor a, a useful idiot. And I said, of course, you, you are a useful idiot, but then that's probably an insult uh, to, to useful idiots. Uh, because I thought the <laughs> most of the useful idiots were a lot deeper uh, than, than this guy who was a, a, a full-fledged professor. And of course, I walked out of that class and I never walked back in. And I'm, I'm sure people in that class thought that I was a little bit, uh, a little bit radical uh, but, uh, you know, I went and, and complained to the dean about that, and uh, I didn't want this uh, professor anywhere on campus, but I was told that he had tenure, and he had done lots of publishing and lots of research and blah, 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 but it was, um, it was uh, one of those moments that uh, really sticks out in my mind, and so when I saw Chris Wallace uh, using the same, same expression, but that, but that would be an insult to useful idiots, I said to myself, hey, hey. wonder if... You know, I wonder. I wonder if Wallace somehow found out about my little. But I'm sure that I'm sure that expression has been used uh, uh, frequently. Or useful idiot, although that may be an insult to to useful idiots. I thought it was a good line uh, from you know one of the more respected voices. Uh, well, Chris Wallace was also. Anchor, it right? should be said that Chris Wallace was a, a colleague. Of Tucker Carlson's. I mean, they, yeah. they both they both work for Fox for, for well, and in that clip too. I mean, him sharing the clip of him asking Putin about yeah. his critics winding up dead or close right. to dead from a 2018 interview. There's yeah. there's very few people that in their flex can include the question they asked of the same world leader. Absolutely. Uh, so and if anyone, significant. if anyone, if if anyone wants to find out who does real interviews, real hardball interviews, shows called Hard Talk on on BBC, and the guy's name is Stephen Sacker. And uh, I can guarantee you this: you can you can bet the ranch on this. Vladimir Putin will never allow BBC's Stephen Sacker of Hard Talk to interview Vladimir Putin. Ain't going to happen ever. You can find Charles Adler right here on Real Talk, first episode of every week, and you can find him online uh, on Twitter at Charles Adler. Always a pleasure, my man. It's great to see you. Thanks for doing it. Thank you very much. You are useful to democracy. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank and, uh, you. Thanks, Adler. We got people saying uh, they're 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 uh, happy you're supporting the Canadian dairy industry by chugging a full oh, carton milk. of chocolate milk in between yeah. questions. I love today. that too. I was like, is I, he uh, is he sculling chocolate milk while we're talking? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, look at that. That's like it's like uh, you're raising Andrew Shear one here. I like that. Uh, Andrew Shear is useful to the dairy industry but I'm valuable. <laughs> there you 
go, Charles Sadler. I saw that earlier. When it was in between questions, just just holding the one liter cart and just giving her. Unbelievable. I love it. Something about chocolate milk, isn't there? Just the just the mention of it, and now mm. I'm craving that taste again. It's a shame we've already done our Friesen Brothers ad, or we could roll right into it. Sure. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we do have an amazing video to show you. In just a quick second, if you're listening on the podcast, don't worry. We'll we'll I'll, I'll describe it for you. That in positive reflections, it's our favorite tradition every single Monday. But first, I got to remind you that this episode happens with the support of amazing partners like our friends at Athabasca University, who have a very simple message, and that is that there's no better time to take that degree or master's program than right now. Uh, go to AthabascaU.ca for more information. If you've been thinking about going back to school, Athabasca University, a great option with 35 online master's and doctorate programs. The only commute to your device. Hey, have you been dreaming about maybe going back and getting that MBA? They've got one, an Athabasca University designed to fit your life. For ambitious people everywhere looking for more flexible approaches to higher education, Athabasca University is Canada's anyone, anywhere, anytime, open university for advanced learning. If you're thinking of getting that backyard, maybe the front yard reinvented this spring, you want to actually bring that outdoor space to life, you're sick of looking out and seeing those trees that are just barely hanging on, you know, that grass that, oh, bless your efforts, that you, you've tried, you've resotted, you've watered, you've raked, you've fertilized, and it just is not happening. Eden Landscaping is ready to take your outdoor space to the next level. They will invite you to experience the fusion of innovation and sustainability. Every design of theirs telling a story of harmony between nature and urban living. Plus, you'll benefit from their expertise over more than 20 years of experience in crafting feasible plans aligned with your budget, ensuring transparency and no surprises along the way. Our experience with Eden Landscaping positive from the very get-go, the design process. Obviously a lot of fun, but they've got some great ideas too that'll help you stay within that budget range. You can work with them starting with a visit to their website. That's Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And a shout out to our friends at Complete Care Restoration, a full service disaster restoration contractor handling fire damage, smoke, odor remediation, water damage restoration. Hey, wind and hail, if you've been there, you know hazardous material removal like asbestos abatement, mold remediation, plus trauma scene cleanup, personal contents restoration. They've been doing it all. Professional services in Edmonton and surrounding area ready to respond 24-7. Honestly, these guys hope you never have to call them. But if disaster strikes, remember Complete Care Restoration online at completecarerestoration.ca. Um, okay, so every Monday or the first episode of every week, uh, we get a chance to, to focus on the positives, right? And this was one that just jumped right off the page at me because this is a story of a real talker, somebody that you saw on the show living a dream for all of us to see. This is our tradition, courtesy of our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. It's a chance for us to say no to the negativity and harness positive energy, renew our faith in humanity. This is 
Positive Reflections, presented by Kubi. Do you remember back on December 5th of 2022 when a remarkable young guy by the name of Brad Bartko joined me on the show? He was here to talk about his thoughts as a disability advocate. It was uh, on the heels of International Day for Persons with Disabilities, and Brad was talking to us about, about being born under very challenging circumstances. His mom was told that there was just a very slim chance that Brad was going to survive. And the guys had challenge after challenge after challenge. What has he done by that? Well, let me tell you what he's done. With these challenges, he's established a group called Accessible by Design. And he works with others. He works with companies and corporations. He works with restaurants and shopping malls to help improve access, to remove barriers for people born into a world that seems like it wasn't designed for them. Well, Brad, just the most inspiring guy you'll ever meet. And he just shared this video. He was with his wonderful wife in beautiful Bucerias, Mexico. And check this out, Johnny. He had always wanted to feel the ocean on his feet, but he never felt like this was a possibility. He never thought it would happen but he didn't want to take no for an answer. So they're down in Mexico and he gets his wife and his uncle to help him out and check this out. They've got him on the sand. They've got him on the beach. They get him out of his chair. And if you're, I mean, if you're listening on the podcast, I'll tell you, I have absolute chills right now. I, I, I've never seen a smile painted on someone's face like the smile on Brad Bartko's face here as he makes his way down the sand. He makes his way across the beach and into the ocean and he feels that ocean water on his feet for the very first time. I saw this video, I watched it once, and then I watched it again, and then I watched it again, and as I'm watching it right now, Johnny, I'm still feeling the chills. You know, there are so many things that able-bodied people take for granted. Something as simple as walking across a beach and feeling the ocean on your feet. But look at this. This is a guy that has dreamed of this, as he said, since he was a boy. And you can see that gentle tide coming in. And here he is. He makes his way from the dry sand onto that wet sand. And boom, there it is. The water hits his feet. And this guy is on another level when it comes to the magnitude of that achievement, when it comes to that feeling. He posted about it. You can find it on his Facebook at at Brad Bartko, B-A-R-T-K-O. We encourage you to send him uh, a note of, uh, of encouragement, a note of love, and just let him know how cool that is that he shared that very personal and amazing moment with all of us. I thought it was a perfect fit for positive Beautiful. reflections, something that just made me smile for about 10 minutes after watching it. So a shout out to Brad. And if you want to learn more about what he's doing with his advocacy, again, you can check out Disability ABD. That's accessible by design. Disability ABD. ABD.com. That's a great friend of Real Talk, Brad Bartko. Positive Reflections, presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today by checking out kubienergy.ca. Hey, if you loved what you heard today, you loved what you saw, give our podcast a share. Tell your friends about it. Smash that like button on YouTube. And I'll tell you what, we've got some great shows coming up this week. We're going to talk about bro culture. What's going on with hockey? That's Wednesday. Thursday, we'll sit down with Sarah Hoffman. She wants to be Alberta's NDP leader. Friday, we're going to celebrate Black History Month, working on other stories as well along the way. If you have a subject you think we need to tackle or a response to a show that you've taken in, you can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Thanks for supporting Real Talk, friends. We'll see you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford. 
Technical Producer, John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Ori Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.